You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Pet Tech, the podcast show about new technologies to help us care for our pets. I am your host, Ken Jones. Welcome to the show that helps you apply today's technology to make the care of your pets easier, safer, and more fun. I am the Pet Tech Guy, and this is the program where we talk about electronic tracking devices, high-tech nutrition, aquarium gear, filter systems, heating, lighting, computer controls, and much, much more. Technology is the application of science. On Pet Tech, we explore the science behind pet products and services. We also bring you the new and wonderful in the world of pets. If you have a suggestion for a topic or product to discuss on the show, email me at pettech at petliferadio.com. That's pettech, P-E-T-T-E-C-H, at petliferadio, P-E-T-L-I-F-E-R-A-D-I-O. I would love to hear from you. And just to make our show even more fun, I award prizes and discounts on pet products. You can win. Visit the show notes page of each episode and listen at the end of the show for instructions on how to claim your discounts and prizes. This is Episode 5. Today we're going to discuss filtration and filter equipment for aquariums. Pet Tech will be right back after these messages. Petco, where the pets go. Petco, where the pets go. Pet Life Radio has tail wagging, fur flying, fabulous deals for our listeners from Petco. Get $6 off your order of $60 or more and up to 40% off the entire Petco site. That's right. But that's not all. Because you're a Pet Life Radio listener, you'll also get free shipping on your order of $49 or more. $6 off, up to 40% off, and free shipping from Pet Life Radio and Petco. To get these awesome deals, go to PetcoDeals.com. That's PetcoDeals.com. Petco, where the pets go. I'm not much of a reader, but I do wish I were more well-read. There are so many great books coming out. I wish I could find a way to keep up. Audible.com makes it easy to stay well-informed and catch up on your reading simply by listening. Audiobooks from Audible turn downtime into uptime. You'll be more productive and become well-read. Now I'm able to catch up on all the great books I've been wanting to read. With Audible, I feel smarter. Pet Life Radio listeners, try Audible.com now and get your first 30 days of Audible Listener Gold Membership plan free. And get a free audiobook. Choose from over 100,000 titles. To get this great deal, go to audibledeals.com. That's audibledeals.com. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Well, today we're going to do something different on Pet Tech. Uh, We usually cover a product or two and developers of those products or inventors of those products. But I wanted to talk about filtration, and I've I've come across an expert on aquarium keeping, a couple of experts actually, a husband and wife team named Russ and Kelly Wilson, and they run a podcast called Aquarimax. And they give of their time every week and have done over a 100 shows. I've lost track of how many now. 
helping people around the world with their aquariums. And I asked Russ if he would come on the podcast with me and uh, discuss with me filtration for primarily aquariums. Filtration is a big topic, and there's um, we're, we're going to try to get through it in one show, identifying the types of filtration and the types of equipment that provide filtration and some of the benefits and pros and cons of different ones to help people get kind of an orientation on what filtration can and cannot do and, and what you might want to make use of and, and just to have a basic understanding and overview on this subject. So I have Russ and Kelly with me here. Folks, why don't you say hello to our audience? Hello. Hi. I'm so glad you're taking time to do this uh, with us and, and go over this topic on filtration because it is a bit complex. We may do more shows in the future going into greater detail on some of these topics, but it would be good to have an overview, a basic understanding of what filters are and what they, uh, what types we need and, and maybe what types we don't need. Uh, when it comes to aquarium keeping, I think you'd probably agree with me, it's possible to keep an aquarium without any filtration at all. Right, right, because water changes can, you know, uh, one way to put it is dilution is the solution to pollution, and that can be true in an aquarium. I have maintained several aquariums with nothing but partial water changes on a frequent basis. You couldn't do the other, the opposite, and keep a tank with just filtration and not do any water changes. Water changes are vital. They're indispensable. Filtration is useful. Filtration is convenient, but I wouldn't go so far as to say it's indispensable. Yeah, I agree with that. I'd say, you know, I, I think of water over time containing end products of, of decay that just don't get removed. A lot of them are dissolved in the water. I think water is just getting thick with chemicals and organics over time. You have to dilute those out. You just have to dilute them out to have clean, healthy water. So uh, what does filtration do then, Russ? Well, you could say that filtration can uh, remove particles from the water column. It can trap them in a, in a place where they're more easily removed than if they were still suspended in the water column. It can also reduce the toxicity of waste materials uh, by processing them in a way that makes them less harmful or uh, more easily removed. So that's basically what it does. It's, in a sense, filtration is sweeping something under the rug, but in a place where you can then deal with it. Well, and that's right. And I think uh, I, I try to make a point to people that um, a filter really doesn't do any good until you clean it. <laughs> it's only exactly. at the point of cleaning the filter are you making an improvement in the environment. Because as you, as you say, you're, 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 you're sweeping the debris under the rug, you're putting it in the filter, but it's still in the water and it's still having some effect on water chemistry. So exactly. uh, yeah, cleaning the filter probably should be done more often than what some people may do. And it is important. It's, it's the most important thing about having a filter is, is keeping your filter clean. I and agree. Filters uh, provide water clarity and water quality. They assist water quality. They can't, uh, as you said before, you can't, you can't go forever just on filtration. But uh, they do help the quality of the water, and they can definitely, definitely make a big difference in the cleanliness uh, of the tank and the and the, the visual appearance of the tank and getting your water clear. Now there are some things that are called filtration or filters sometimes that really aren't, and I'm aware of two of them. There, there's probably more, but those that commonly used in aquariums would be. UV radiation, a UV light or ultraviolet light uh, is, is what that stands for. And the other one would be an ozonator or ozonation of the aquarium. You, you want to talk, Russ, a minute about each of those? Sure. Well, both of them are methods of breaking down substances or in some cases organisms that are in the water 
for example, UV sterilization or UV clarification, sometimes called. Basically, you cause water from the aquarium to pass near an ultraviolet light that either damages or kills, uh, for example, free-floating algae, bacteria, and viruses, depending on the strength of the light and how long uh, the water passes or the dwell time, how long the water passes by it and so on, um, can be used very effectively to clarify water just by killing the algae or the suspended bacteria or what have you that are in the water. But they still remain there, just in a different form. And I think it's neat about UV radiation or UV light is a great way to, well, medically treat an aquarium that's got an infection of parasites without using chemicals. Right. And it's it can be. Of course, you need much stronger UV to combat some of the larger uh, macro parasites than you would to combat the really small um, organisms. But indeed, it's a good way to take care of things like ick and other parasites just because... Like you say, you don't have to add chemicals that can cause all sorts of problems with your invertebrates or with your plants or things like that. And I would just caution consumers that some UV lights are um, are marketed with certain flow rates on the box or something that may be uh, geared for creating water clarity, but not effective for treating disease. So you may need a more powerful UV light than what some of the advertising might tell you. And I haven't heard of UV lights being so strong as to do any damage. So I, I, I just caution people to get get a more powerful UV light than perhaps you think you need if, if your intention is to have it there in order to help combat parasites and, and uh, treat disease in the tank. That's what I've heard as well, that the um, it's really hard to have one that's too strong. And then the flow rate, too. It, that's really important. I think on ponds, you know, I do do a podcast on ponds as well, and, and uh, UV lights applied to ponds are often... Again, sold as a treatment for algae for for creating clear water, but if you you can also use them for fighting disease if they're more powerful and or you need a slower flow rate. You need, often I think the flow rates are just way too high. You really have to pay attention to how at what speed that water's flowing through that UV light. It makes a big difference. Right, that dwell time is key because you need to make sure that the organisms you're trying to control are exposed to the light for a critical period. That's right. Now, and, and on ozonation, you, you want to talk a little bit about that? I, I, I've always been intrigued by ozone treatment. I think it's, uh, you know, they use it in, in swimming pools in, in Europe a lot. The most of the swimming pools over there are maintained with ozone, whereas over here in the States we use chlorine. Chlorine. It seems like the ozone would be a better way to do it, but uh, I don't have a lot of direct experience with ozone. I, I do know the basic idea of how it works is an ozonator uses electricity to generate ozone, which you know we do that incidentally with a lot of equipment, like my father's old typewriter used to do that, and you could smell oh, it. Really? You know. <laughs> and, and at least some types use that. Uh-huh. I don't know if there are types, but... Um, and then that... Is there some um, way we okay. can connect a typewriter to an aquarium? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and if you th- keep it there long enough, <laughs> your fish might accidentally write Hamlet. You know. <laughs> But the basic idea is that that ozone causes damage not in the same way, but with the same sort of result that uh, UV yeah, light does. Yeah, that's what I think is neat about it. You get a similar result. It uses a different uh, different method. It's, it's using an ozone gas to uh, kind of oxidize things in the water. And in the process of doing that, it can kill algae or kill parasites. And, it, you know, if there's enough of it, it can kill your fish. So there is right. a danger there with ozone and Plus, after you put it in the water, then you have to get it back out of the water so that it, the fish aren't exposed to harmful levels. So it's right. a little tricky. 
And it seems like it, it might be a better solution for things like swimming pools than it would be for aquariums, because in your uh, swimming pool, you're not as concerned with causing damage to residents of the <laughs> swimming pool. Yeah. And we hope there aren't residents. In <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, I, I think that's probably a good intro for UV radiation and ozonation, both which are treatments for water, but not filtration. So let's move on to filtration. There's a uh, well-known, it's well-known that there are three basic types of filtration used on aquariums. Why don't you talk about those a bit? Okay. Well, there are the, the big three are mechanical, chemical, and biological. And mechanical uh, basically means that you're physically removing particles from the water, and they can range in size from, you know, big visible chunks to very, very tiny particles that you remove with things like diatomaceous earth to polish the water, particles that you wouldn't even really see as individual particles. So just about any size, but you're using some sort of straining mechanism, in a sense, that captures those particles and then keeps them in the filter so that you can come along and remove them. Because as we mentioned before, just because you can't see them anymore doesn't mean they're not there in the system. And that can range from sponges to pads to cartridges to floss and you know any, any number of things. That's mechanical filtration. I'm sorry, what was that? Oh, again? I just, it's kind of like a Don't. pasta drainer for your fish tank. Oh, yeah. I happen to know that sand filtration, the type used for, like on swimming pools, for instance, filters to about 80 microns. And the cartridges, the polyester cartridges, again, that are typically seen in, in swimming pools and spas, they are also available for aquariums and used in, in, in some aquarium filters. They filter down to about 15 microns. And DE, diatomaceous earth, which is uh, basically a powder made from diatoms, which uh, diatom um, exoskeletons, which is basically like um, uh, glass snowflakes at a microscopic level. That DE uh, provides filtration clear down to five microns, and that's fine enough to filter out single-celled algae. And that's how fine you have to get if you actually want to filter out single-celled algae. So DE filtration, we, we, as, you, as you mentioned, we, we, when we use it, we call it polishing the water because uh, even though it takes out things that you may not even be able to see, it, it makes a, a beautiful difference. I, I'm, I've always been a big fan of DE filtration. Right. You can... um, so there's my two cents worth. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good addition. I think the, the polishing effect of the diatomaceous earth is some people don't even have a, many times they don't have a diatomaceous earth filter hooked up to their tank necessarily. They just use it periodically when they want to polish. That's right, yeah. Okay. Now what about chemical filtration? Chemical filtration is when there is some sort of reaction or adsorption of material in the water. For example, activated carbon is by far and away the most commonly used in freshwater aquaria, where things like tannins, um, dissolved organics, gases and things, things that cause odors or, or discoloration in the water, things like that, will be basically attracted by the immense surface area and the structure and the porosity of the carbon and then remain in the carbon until you remove it and replace it with other carbon. Of course, it's possible in theory to recharge carbon, but uh, most people don't do it because you need a very hot <laughs> environment to do it, more so than you'd get in your oven, for example. And then there are different types of carbons that are better suited for different applications, but that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. Yeah, it really could be. I, I know there's different grades of carbon as well. In the old days, we used charcoal. Right. And then we found out charcoal wasn't nearly, as, not, not anywhere close to as porous as regular pure carbon could be. So carbon was a much more concentrated product and pretty well replaced charcoal on the market. I don't know if you can buy charcoal anymore for aquariums. Yeah, I don't think I've seen but, it for uh, a while. But 
but uh, uh, good quality carbon uh, can do some good things. Right, and it's it can be useful, for example, when you want to remove uh, medicine from the water. You've medicated your fish and the, the course is over and you want to remove that from the water before you replace sensitive organisms back in the tank and you just you run a carbon cartridge and it'll take it out really quickly, things like that. What other kind of chemical filters do we have? Well, we've got uh, zeolite. That's probably one of the other fairly common examples. Zeolite is a, a naturally occurring mineral that can basically capture ammonia. And so, though I don't really use it or recommend its use for long-term presence in the aquarium, if you do have, you realize you have an ammonia problem and you need to deal with it, there are several things you can do, but one possible route is to uh, use a zeolite cartridge. Right, right. And, and zeolite is basically just a, a, a natural mineral that's found in the earth and mined and purified for many purposes, but uh, it's used a lot for water. Right. And then uh, phosphate-absorbing resin is probably, or phosphate-removing resin, I should say, is probably one of the... Uh, this one, I think, is more commonly used in salt water, but it also is used in fresh water. And the basic idea, again, is it just it captures phosphate, which is a limiting factor in uh, the growth of algae. And so... Uh, for systems where that could be desirable, it can be an effective way to help keep phosphates down. Pet Tech will be right back after these messages. Every pet is unique. Maybe they're gray in the muzzle, yet young at heart. Maybe they're growing out of the puppy stage and into their paws and ears. Or maybe they're just trying to maintain a more girlish figure. At PetSmart, we have the right food for your pet at a great value for you. PetSmart. Be better together. Go to PetSmartDeal.com and save up to 30% on awesome gifts for the pets and pet people in your life. Toys, collars, leashes, PetSmart gift cards, treats, and more. Go to PetSmartDeal.com today. P-E-T-S-M-A-R-T-D-E-A-L.com. I don't make any decisions about who to hire without going to Angie's List first. You'll find reviews on home repair to healthcare written by people just like you. With Angie's List, I know who to call and I know the results will be fantastic. Angie's List, who you can trust. Go to Angie'sList.com forward slash best and get 25% off any subscription. That's Angie'sList.com forward slash best, B-E-S-T. Hey, if you like what I'm doing here at Pet Tech... I invite you to buy me a grande cup of coffee. Your support will help me grow the show. In return, I will read on the air during an upcoming episode a call-out, a short message from you to promote any pet club or group, animal protection group, or environmental cause you like. Just send your message with a check for $10 to Ken Jones, P.O. Box 61, Murphy's, California, 95247. That's P.O. Box 61, Murphy's, M-U-R-P-H-Y-S, California, 95247. That grande coffee is sure going to keep me going. Thanks. Hi, this is Ken Jones from the Prince of Ponds podcast. The frogs are shaking the shakers, the turtles are hitting the slapsticks, and the koi are blowing the trumpets. It's party time here at Prince of Ponds. Out under the swaying palm trees, the pond fairies are kicking up their heels and spinning in delight in the twilight. 
Here on Pet Life Radio, it's time to celebrate the magic of ponds, waterfalls, fountains, and water gardens at the Prince of Ponds Podcast. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs> Tech is back. So now on with the show. And we have a third category called biological. And I guess I would start off by saying, well, there's different types of biological, but uh, you'll find biological filtration, the phenomena that occurs in mechanical filters. So a lot of units, a lot of filtration units might be called a mechanical filter or they might be called a biological filter, but chances are there's, there's overlap. They're, it's doing some of both. Uh, well, why don't you talk a little bit about these different types of biological filters? Sure. Well, I, I am glad that you brought up the fact that most filters are types of both, and I would I would say that that is where the success lies in most types of filters. They have to have both to really be a successful filter, I think, in almost all cases. I would say there are three types of biological filtration or biofiltration. One is the aerobic bacteria. Basically, these aerobic bacteria, if they have a source they need surface area, of course. Our favorite thing. Yeah, we always we talk about surface area. Yeah. You're working on a song about yeah. surface area, as I understand. Well, I'll provide a theme song for surface area. Yeah. It's extremely important because these bacteria, unlike some that will be perfectly happy to float around uh, in the water column indefinitely and, and survive and reproduce that way, these types of bacteria require a surface area for to be efficient nitrifiers. And so... They need that surface area. They also need to be exposed to water and oxygen. And the more they have of both, the better off they are. And if they do that, the first group of bacteria, which they have a couple of different types, and there's some debate now about which types, but nitrosomonas is is commonly cited. Nitrospira is one of the more recent ones that's been mentioned, that take the ammonia and turn it to nitrite. And then another group of bacteria, once that ammonia has been turned to nitrite, are then free to turn the nitrite into nitrate. And a nitrite is slightly less toxic than ammonia, and nitrate is a lot less toxic than nitrite. And so uh, once you have nitrate in the tank, your fish can handle a certain amount of that, and it can then be diluted with water changes and reduced with the uh, following two types of biological filtration. And absorbed by plants. Exactly, and that's my third type. Uh, Oh, okay, I'm jumping ahead. (laughs) No, that, that is fine. That's fine. Basically, what we just said is that ammonia comes from the fish. When they defecate, they put out ammonia. And and that's toxic. It's really bad for fish. It, it takes very, very little bit of ammonia to really make the fish sick. And so something has to happen to that ammonia, and these bacteria convert that ammonia to less toxic chemicals, and that's a natural process. It's, it's called aerobic biological filtration. Right. So tell us about the other ones now. Okay, well, the second is anaerobic biofiltration. And basically, certain bacteria in a low or no oxygen environment can take nitrate and turn it to nitrogen gas. And that, of course, requires a specialized situation where there's enough water so that you're getting nitrate to the bacteria and you're getting their, the purified water back out into the aquarium, but you also have a, a very limited oxygen. So Unless you have a specialized situation where you can provide that situation, you're probably not going to get a whole lot of that going on. Well, I, in my grade school days, I was taught that anaerobic uh, bacteria uh, processes were bad news, that you wanted to stay away from an anaerobic condition. 
because gases like methane and hydrogen sulfide and even ammonia are produced in that situation where there is no oxygen. That's why ponds, dirty ponds, or, or, or even an aquarium gone bad will stink. It'll smell. You can smell it. Is, is often the gases from the wrong kind of bacteria. I used to describe anaerobic bacteria as the ones wearing the black hats, and the aerobic <laughs> wore the white hats. Nowadays, they've got yeah, they've gotten more sophisticated and nuanced, and there are actually filter systems being recommended in the literature that run on anaerobic bacteria. And I think it's interesting, but for my money, I'd rather I feel better staying away from that. I, I'd rather have lots of oxygen in my tanks and oxygenate everything, not deal with the anaerobic cycles. It just feels, if you're going to do it, um, I would think a, a separate tank, like a refugium that's connected to your display tank, but it, it's a separate physical environment, might be the best place to do something like that. Right, and there there are situations, for example, in uh, saltwater aquaria, it is not uncommon to have uh, deep sand beds and have things like um, in the live rock, which is basically a very porous mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, calcium carbonate matrix where these anaerobic bacteria can survive in, in numbers that are high enough that you can reduce nitrates that way, and that's that can be useful. But in, in some systems, in a lot of freshwater systems, it's unnecessary. And unless you're interested in it and want to do it for its own sake and, and discover more about it, it's really not necessary. Well, and, c- and keep be- in mind that this, uh, although technology is fun, and I'm a geek, I, I like playing with technical toys, but... You know, a water change is usually just a lot easier and cheaper than most of the, of the efforts we're talking about here. For a lot of these things, even for some of the things that you would use chemical filtration for, you could just, well, do a water change and achieve the same results. Right, so, and I yeah. agree. I, I would say that water changes are a much more uh, reliable way to do it, much more... Uh, there are also other benefits you get from water changes besides diluting the uh, toxins that are in the water. You're also introducing things that the uh, system needs. Well, that's true. That's true. I know we could go on with this for quite a while, but we probably probably shouldn't for this podcast. But that's, uh, that's, that's right. <laughs> there, there's really a lot to this stuff. But So we've covered mechanical filtration, chemical and biological. Was there anything more you wanted to say about the biological category? Oh, no, I was just going to say water changes are probably our second favorite thing after surface area. Yeah, there you go. But uh, I agree with that. there was one more thing, and that's that uh, plants, as you mentioned, mm. plants do um, utilize nitrogenous waste. So they can take ammonium directly before bacteria even do anything with well, it. That's true. And they can also, uh, many of them can also use nitrates. So um, it's possible to bypass the whole bacterial system with a heavily planted tank as long as the plants are receiving all the nutrients and uh, light and so on that they require you can have a perfectly healthy tank with no measurable ammonia in it just filtering it with plants in in essence and And it looks so pretty and it does and some tanks and that's the way they used to do it all the time before we had all these electronic toys to work right they really didn't have much choice and that hundred years ago they were just heavily planted aquariums exactly and some some applications for example If you have a fish, like uh, a really big freshwater puffer fish that's a foot and a half long and just makes a huge (laughs) mess when it eats, okay, but will also Mm -hmm. shred any plant or anything you put in the tank, you have a problem there because it's really hard, even with heavy water changes, to keep up with the amount of nitrates that are in the tank. So some aquarists in this sort of situation where they have an extremely high bio load and not plant-friendly fish will attach another tank to that tank and put a whole bunch of plants that are growing out of the water 
under highlight where they're using the atmospheric CO2 to uh, regulate their growth because CO2 is a limiting factor underwater and plants just can't grow as quickly. So they'll put plants that are have their roots in the water, but their, their foliage out in the air, and they can significantly reduce the nitrates that build up in the water just by using a veggie filter. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that. In pond keeping, we call that a bog. Exactly. And, bo- <laughs> and, and, and bog filters a- are considered very beneficial for, for ponds. Yeah. So this is sort of a... I guess it's it's the same idea. It's just uh, done in in a tank. Yeah. yeah. Well, that, that's uh, it, that's great. I love it. I love it. Okay. Well, uh, we probably should talk about the filters themselves. Uh, the, yeah. The actual filter products. There, you know, there are several different kinds. Back when I was a boy, uh, a lot of aquariums just had this little plastic box with this spun glass inside, and maybe a few pellets of charcoal on the bottom. And the aquariums were filtered with this, but it, it, they've evolved quite a bit. We now have sponges to filter through. We still can use fl- uh, boxes uh, filled with floss, although the polyester um, material is is now what's available and much nicer to work with. And the glass, right? Yeah. And then under gravel filters, they showed up and pretty well replaced all those little box filters for a while. The under gravel filters are still in wide use today. And some people are getting away from them as well. I noticed they, they don't seem to be promoted as heavily as they once were. Then there's uh, hang-on-the-box filters and more. I'll let, you, I'll let you take it from there. Okay. Well, let's just jump back to, to box filters for just a second. The first filter I ever had, too, when I was a boy. And they basically use airflow from just a simple airline because when you have air moving, you have water next to it that's also moving. It pulls the water along. And so it gently pulls, makes a very gentle current. The benefits of a filter like that is it's, of course, economical. They can still be obtained, amazingly enough. They're fairly customizable in terms of media. You you have a choice about what you put in there, and that can uh, be beneficial in, in some occasions. Because what do you usually use for media? Well, mostly it's the filter floss. Just the filter floss. But you can put some gravel, some fairly large board gravel in there, and that make sure that when you remove all the filter floss, you're not removing all the bacteria because there's some adhering to that gravel. That do can you be beneficial. sometimes just combine different things to put in the canister? You can use different layers? Yeah, you can use different layers. Um, but I haven't used a box filter in years, but that's what I did. You know, I played around with it when I did. And they're gentle for small inhabitants. So if you have a tank with fry, that can be fairly... Uh, useful filter if you're not worrying about a high bio load and because you can, it's gentle it's a gentle flow right. yeah so it's not likely to suck them up into the filter and that's and, true of those sponge filters as well by the way exactly and i do prefer sponge filters personally uh-huh. and uh-huh. they're the same idea really except instead of a box you have an open cell phone block correct yeah and uh, and those are in wide use by by breeders these days yeah, yeah. The, because they're such great biofilters mm-hmm. because this immense surface area of all that open cell foam that water is constantly being drawn through. So there's always a constant supply of oxygen. So bacteria do really well there. And so teeny creatures like fry tanks or shrimp do well. And the benefit of sponge filters, an additional benefit is that supplemental food for these fry and shrimp and so on grows on the outside of the filter. So the shrimp can graze on it or the fry can graze on it and find food that they can eat. Yeah, uh-huh. very good point. Now, a drawback of both those types of filters, though, is that they... They don't look too good. They sit in the tank. No. It's hard to hide them. Very true. They're hard to hide. Another disadvantage is they don't pick up a lot of particulate matter. They're not great at it. They'll pick up some, but they're not really great at it. And so they're not good for anything that makes a mess. 
anything that stirs up the water a lot. Uh, you have Corydoras catfish, for example, that stir up the, the substrate, then it's, you're going to have a big mess all the time. And if you want to do CO2 injection for your plants, not everybody does, but for those who do, they're a very poor choice because the agitation caused by the bubbles is going to drive off most of the CO2 you put into the water. Mm, yes, right. So, yeah, that's, that's probably a good overview for those two types. So uh, if we go down to, to undergravel filters, and like you say, they were, they were an innovation after these other two, and they're basically a plate that's perforated in various places. It covers the bottom, and then that's covered in turn by gravel. And then somewhere, usually in the back corners, we have uplift tubes, and those can be powered by air or by a powerhead, an electric powerhead, or a pump, right? And they, they create a, a pull through the gravel, and you can have a reverse flow in a gravel filter that pulls water down through the tubes and pushes it up to the gravel, or you can have the more traditional kind where the flow comes up through the tubes and it draws it down into the gravel. That's how most uh, aquariums, I think, are done with what we call a standard flow, where the where the the water, which includes all the debris or dirt, feces, and so forth, is is sucked down into the gravel. And then everybody's, I think, familiar with gravel cleaning devices, which are basically just siphon tubes with a big a big oversized uh, pipe on the end that allows you to pick up the gravel. As you siphon the water out, it picks up some gravel off the bed and tumbles it, and, and you can pull out that all that debris that's been accumulating. A nice thing about an undergravel filter is that it's part of the decor. I mean, it, you don't see any filter unit. so right, it's, you just see the uplift Yeah, right. So it's fairly hidden, and it gives you lots of surface area. All that gravel is surface area that we... We should we should have at least have a uh, what a um, yes <laughs> a little <laughs> audio jingle of some kind jingle of some sort to play every time but all that surface area allows all, a lot of bacteria beneficial bacteria to grow in the, the the bed. However, there is a couple of drawbacks to under gravel filters. Right, one is that you're trapping all this detritus under the gravel, but unless you remove it, it sits there. But out of sight, out of mind can be a big problem. There, it can get yeah, too dirty. It can get so stuffed full of gunk down there that your water quality is declining um, at atrocious rates and you don't even see it because your water's clear because all the stuff is out of the way. And besides gravel cleaning, there's no easy form of export. I mean, that's the only choice you have. You can't just pick up a little cartridge and throw it in the garbage and put a new one in. You have to do gravel yeah. cleaning. Yeah. And then another problem is that the flow must be kept up and it must be fairly uniform across the plate, which is harder than it sounds. If you want different gravel depths, you have an issue there because it's going to flow, the water's going to flow along the path of least resistance. And if you don't have uh, a uniform gravel depth, that can be a problem. If you have rock work or driftwood or things like that, you can create dead spots where you're going to get anaerobic growth, not the positive kind either. So the black hat kind. Right, the black hat kind. And get some <laughs> toxic buildup and also, you, you have uh, fewer choices in terms of grain size for your substrate. If you want a sand substrate, too bad. It doesn't work in an undergravel filter in general. It just falls through. Right. It'll just fall through uh, unless you make provision. And there are things you can do. but um, it, Well, and it provides more resistance to the water flow to be Exactly. Because it's smaller. Yeah. And then, um, you know, the thing about undergravel filtration is that from the day you set it up, it's on a path to failure. It really is. Yeah, because it's just going to get dirtier and dirtier. And you won't even see it, uh, most of the trouble as it's developing. And you'll get areas, I'm familiar with channeling, I, I see it a lot in pond filtration, where the water is always taking the path of least resistance, and what it does is create channels so that it, it's like it, it rushes through this Grand Canyon-type opening, which is invisible to you, but the fact is there's areas of gravel that are really clean because the water's rushing through so fast 
that it doesn't get a chance to clog up, and the other areas are slowing way down and are clogged up with debris. And in those areas, as you mentioned, you can get anaerobic bacteria growing, and that's potential trouble. So that's that's what your undergravel filters are headed for. And uh, to prevent that, you just you, you need to clean them with siphoning tubes and such. However, reverse flow, I like reverse yeah, flow. Yeah, that's... Because you can put clean water. The way to do it is take the water from your... Have a mechanical filter system somewhere else, and it could be one of... It could be a canister filter or a module filter, but you take the water from a filter system that's been clean, maybe run through DE, maybe even through carbon, but it's already really clean water, and you pump it down under the, the gravel bed and have it come up through the gravel, you'll still have beneficial bacteria, and you won't have any debris right. clogging up the gravel. Because you're basically and that's why rinsing it's so it. Great. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a much better type of uh, undergrowth filter. We don't see that near as often, but it's, I think it's a really great way to go. I like gravel in my aquariums, and at least my display tanks. And um, and if you're going to have gravel, you should flow water through it. And if you're going to flow water through it, you should put clean water through it. Exactly. Because if you were to, to just put um, dirty water through it, you'd still get the same sort of clogging issues that you would the other direction. Maybe not as bad, but it would still happen. Right. Well, let's move on to something like um, the hang-on-the-box filters, which I think a whole lot of Aquarius use. Yeah, I would say these are probably the... The most common filters for most Aquarius, beginning and, and advanced Aquarius, not that they're the only ones, but they're the most common type. And they are the ones that I've probably tried the most types of. Basically, it is a, a box which usually has a magnetic motor in it and then a, an impeller, which looks like a propeller and spins around. And that creates, with the addition of water, uh, it creates suction, which pulls the water up into that box. And then as it flows back out of the box and back into the tank, it goes through mechanical cartridge or pad or what have you, and usually, or often at least, chemical and biological filtration. So sometimes um, after it's gone through the pad, it will go through, which may contain carbon or may not, it'll go through a sponge or a wheel or fins or rings or something like that that uh, Mm -hmm. is intended to provide surface area for the bacteria to uh, adhere to. And the advantages of these filters, they're fairly economical, they're fairly easy maintenance. You just you know take the cartridge out and replace it. Or in many cases, it's better to rinse it out in some tank water so that you're preserving bacteria and saving a little money. I know a lot of uh, companies make a lot of money by selling a filter pad that has a life of anywhere from a couple of months to several years, and they recommend <laughs> that you replace it every three weeks. They want you to toss it out every three weeks and buy a new one, right. of course. But yes. I have filter sponges that I've used for years. I still have them. They work perfectly fine. So it depends on the type you have. They are very easy to use. Some of them have customizable media cartridges and things like that you can replace with. You can just put whatever you want in there. A lot of them have an adjustable flow rate, which is really nice. For example, I have a tank in my office that is a five-gallon tank, and it's got a filter that's rated for, I think, 15 gallons, but I just have it turned down, and it works perfectly. You name some specific manufacturers of, of these uh, box filters? Yeah, sure. Marineland makes... Uh, the BioWheel line. I like the BioWheel line. It's pretty useful in that its innovation is that it's got a, a water wheel kind of, uh, let's see, an aspect or a feature to it where after it's gone through the mechanical filtration and possibly chemical filtration, it has a wheel that spins and it's a pleated sort of water wheel structure that the intent is to provide a place where bacteria, beneficial bacteria, can grow and not only grow but thrive because they're constantly exposed to oxygen as this wheel comes in and out of the water. 
And I've found that it is a good way to keep the bacteria happy. You don't have to worry about removing filter media like you do in some other types. If you remove too much of it, you can be killing off a lot of your effective bacteria. But with a, a bio wheel, as long as it's healthy, you can keep those bacteria going and remove media as often as you want. You feel they, they provide enough surface area to take the place of, say, something like a gravel bed or with an undergravel filter? I mean, do you need no other biological filtration if you have a bio wheel on your hang-on-the-back box filter? Well, I think it depends on a lot of things. It depends on bio load and it depends on how hospitable your aquarium environment is to bacteria. It depends on you know many things. So it would be hard to say, but I do feel more comfortable with providing other surface area in addition to that. But it's on the other hand, it's kind of hard not to. You generally do that by default. As long as you're you know taking good care of your aquarium, you're going to have some surface area in there that uh, is going to bolster or, or supplement that which is by the bio wheel. But if you did have a bare tank with just a bio wheel in there, and that's mainly the surface area you have besides the tank walls and bottom, I would say I'd be more comfortable using that in my experience than I would with a lot of the others of the hang-on-back filters. I have no personal experience with them, but I always had the impression that the bio wheel-type filters were a good supplement, but were not sufficient to rely mm-hmm. on completely. But that's, that's just my suspicion. I, I don't really know. Well, that is a, is a good point. I think one of the issues here is that oxygen is really a limiting factor for those bacteria. Oxygen and surface mm. area. And this, right. this greatly increases the amount of oxygen available. So the efficiency of the bacteria in terms of individual mm. bacteria as well as in terms of numbers, I think, goes up exponentially. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the idea behind it. How well right. it really right. works, you know, I don't have any empirical data on it. But, uh, but we use them. We use them and <laughs> they do seem to work pretty well. They do seem to work pretty well. They sure can't hurt. Yeah. And then <laughs> right. there are other types that I use too. One of the big problems with bio wheels is along with other ones is that if you want to inject CO2 into your aquarium, which I have done on many occasions, you can't do it with a bio wheel because all that surface agitation caused by the, the bio wheel basically drives it all off. And so if you want CO2 supplementation for an aquarium, you need to use one that has much less surface turbulence. So things like the Hagen mm. AquaClear filter or a Tetra Whisper or a Top Fin filter can provide pretty good filtration, but without so much surface agitation. Mm -hmm. And so I I use those brands as well as others for tanks where I don't want um, surface agitation. Well, this category of of mechanical filters, or really, again, they're, they're mechanical and biological filters, but this category of filters is so commonly used and, and available that we could talk about it more, but we... We probably ought to move on to discussing a couple remaining types of filters like canister filters and module filters. Canister filters are pretty commonly used as well. They're usually used for the larger aquariums and cost a little more money. Right. You want to talk about canister filters for a minute? Yeah, sure. The nice thing about canister filters are basically the idea is that the filter itself is outside of the tank. And so that's one of the reasons why it works well in a big tank. You're not taking up extra space, but you basically the intake and the outflow are in the aquarium and everything else is outside. Typically underneath in the cabinet out of sight. Usually, yeah. And that's what makes it so nice for a big aquarium. You have a lot of a lot of space dedicated to filtration without it being very visible. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are very customizable in terms of media. You get to choose what you want to put in the different media baskets that are there. And that depends. There are types that are more proprietary, but... Another nice thing is the intake and outflow are very customizable. You can decide whether you want to put a spray bar under the water so to minimize surface turbulence or so that it hits the surface and increases oxygenation with the surface turbulence. And 
it can, because of that, it can handle uh, large tanks with high bioloads because it's big and can be used for CO2 injection if you choose to make sure the uh, surface turbulence is minimal. But there are a lot of disadvantages to the canister filters. And I know personally that you would agree with me that there are some disadvantages. There are. Uh, we did. Because we've talked about that before. <laughs> One thing that... Yes. No. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I, you know, I, uh, well, they're basically you, uh, buckets you know, we, <laughs> with a big, powerful we, motor either in the lid or on top or whatever. And uh, they often have, uh, you know, they, they have the extra power you need for a larger tank. I've kept a lot of larger tanks. And canister filters are often the norm. Also, you, you mm-hmm. have to disconnect them, and typically you, you carry them to your kitchen sink, and you have to dismantle all the different modules. The little Some have baskets, others just stack uh, various foam filters uh, on top of each other inside the canister. And uh, you basically uh, pull it all apart and rinse it all off in the sink, and you got all this smelly, well, hopefully not too smelly, but uh, pretty yucky stuff that's in these pads that you have to wash out by hand. And uh, reassemble the whole thing, and then carry it back and get her get her going again. It's just not my number one way of doing it. I, I actually prefer canister filters over hang yeah. on the back box filters or um, any, any kind of interior box filter for sure. One thing too is that oxygen can be a really limiting factor depending on the model and the type you have. But you're piping all this water into a a bucket, a sealed bucket, and unless there's some provision made for it, you can lose. Um, efficiency as far as biofiltration goes because you run out of oxygen unless unless your flow is such that you're constantly replenishing enough of it things like that that can be another issue mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but uh, and of course they're expensive well and as they get dirty the flow's going to slow down so and you may not even know that but when the flow slows down right. you've got, and you got to increase load over time and decrease flow over time what does that spell <laughs> serious <laughs> issues declines in water quality. Uh, massive dieback of bacteria, yeah, just to yeah, name right. a few uh, things. Some problems. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and they usually don't come with flow rates, you know, with gauges on them that'll tell you what the flow rate is. And that would be very helpful to know on most of these uh, these filters. And some of the newer ones are, they have uh, electronic readouts where it will tell you, this is the flow rate, this is the temperature, this is, and, you know, things like that. But the reason why people are doing that is because as you say, it would be really nice to know because in the ones that don't, you you really that can be a problem if you don't know. Is there anything else about canister filters you'd want to add? Um, I think that's about it. I like uh, a multi-stage <laughs> module filter system. I, I was introduced to these many years ago when I set up a, a custom aquarium showroom. A company new to the aquarium field called Lifeguard was producing these miniature versions of uh, basically spa filter systems. They made spa filters and swimming pool filters, and someone came to them and sold them on the idea of of making smaller units and putting them in series or even in parallel and creating custom filter systems made up of individual modules. And so what you can have is basically you, you have the pump taking the water from the aquarium and pushing it through your filter system you can have a uh, heater module. This gives you a filter where you can put the heater down in the water flow in the filter system and not have it showing in the aquarium. And sitting in a corner of an aquarium, the, you know, the distribution of heat isn't going to be nearly as effective as if you stick that module right in a stream, you know, a flow stream. So a heater module is a wonderful idea. It looks better and it works better. It protects the heater. It's, a, it's just cool. On top of that, you can have a, they have a chemical module, which is a, and these things are like other well, tubes in various heights that are about five inches in diameter uh, and have a cap on top. 
and you can uh, and the waters it flows through one tube after another one module after another and you can do different things to the water depending on what you want to do uh, they have a UV module where you is it's, it's again the same module with a different cap and a, a provisions for an ultraviolet light unit that sticks down in there and so you can have one or more of those in your system the chemical module is is basically a basket that sits in there that's made of material that's ideal for the flow rate to go through your chemical media, whether it be carbon or something else. Finally, the the real filtering job, I, I the way I think of it, the the mechanical job, the biggest job is the mechanical filtration, and, and that's handled by a cartridge filter, which will take you down to 15 microns, which is pretty clear water, pretty clean, pretty fine filter. You can coat that cartridge. That cartridge will hold DE powder if you choose to add diatomaceous earth to your filter system. You can have it add it through a separate module, an empty module, that serves as a mixing chamber. You put your powder in there, close everything up, turn the pump on, and boom, that pump pushes that water, churns it all up, and coats your, your cartridge, your polyester cartridge, beautifully with a skin of DE powder, which will just super fine filter your water. And I like doing it that way because not only are the results visually stunning, but these filter systems are really easy to clean. You don't have to carry anything anywhere. You might have a little plastic tray that you use, but you can turn off the system, turn off the valves, and then you can just open the lids on these uh, these modules by hand. They just spin off, pull a cartridge out, stick a new one in, put the lid back on, and you're done. I mean, later you go wash the cartridge, hose it off in the yard or in your sink or whatever you want to do, but you can have two or three extras, and you could just, you know, clean them when you feel like it, And but you can change your filter in just moments. Right. So uh, I, I I really like these filters. I used them quite a bit, lived with them for a long time, and they're just the easiest thing in the world to maintain. So I like being able to customize this, the filter system for the particular aquarium. Right. Well, yeah. If it's a big aquarium, you just adds additional modules, and you can put these modules in series, but you can also put them parallel so that you could double your capacity very easily so oh, i like that i yeah. Uh, yeah i loved them i loved them i still i still use them i i will say this though i've, I've been trying to get hold of lifeguard for months to invite them on the show uh, to discuss their product and they uh, they seem to have a personnel problem as great as their products are i can't get them to respond i have and when i called and talked to their one marketing rep he sounded very uninterested <laughs> in in talking to me uh the <laughs> Yes, uh, it's not what you typically run into. You'd expect marketing people to be uh, looking for opportunities to market. And uh, uh, the owner of Lifeguard uh, has yet to get back to me, and his marketing person was less than pleasant to talk to. And I have no idea why, but it's, uh, these Lifeguard filters haven't made great big inroads to the hobby. They're not inexpensive. That's the drawback for sure. They're, they're made in the United States. They're not made in China like a lot of the cheaper filters are. And um, it's, it's not easy for them to compete. But it sure would help if they had an enthusiastic marketing crew <laughs> that, that would uh, provide better consumer uh, support. Right. And I encourage yeah. anyone that's had any personal experiences with Consumer Report at Lifeguard to get in touch with me and let me know if it's been good or bad or or otherwise because uh I'd like to see it improve. They they got a they got a top tier product and it could be better promoted and I'd like to I might I would just like to make sure every hobbyist knows about it and can use them. Well, I'm I'm intrigued by it. having talked to you about it. I would like to know more about it. So 
Well, we've uh, covered a lot of ground, and we're certainly out of time. This has um, not been a short show, but we've covered so much, and I hope this is a fairly complete overview of filtration and types of filters for aquariums, and I hope it's helpful to people to know what their options are. You've been terrific, Russ. Okay. Kelly, I, I haven't heard enough from you, but <laughs> I'm glad you're there. And it's our fault because we talk so darn much. <laughs> it, between Russ and I, I mean, no one can get a word in. But uh, it's it's great having having you guys. Everyone now knows why I call you an expert on aquariums. And I hope we can get you back and do more of this kind of thing. Oh, well, thanks for having us, Ken. And we'd love to be back. Kelly had to step out for just a second. But uh, we both in, enjoyed talking to you. And uh, we would be happy to come back. Well, thanks again. And we'll talk to you soon, I'm sure. Some of you listeners are simply pet parents. And that's great. Some of you are pet hobbyists, and some of you work in the pet industry. Well, I have a pet project I want your help on. We all know that pet hobbies that involve the raising and breeding of animals is good for kids. It teaches responsibility, discipline, and encourages learning. It gets kids outside and connecting with other kids with similar interests. I have heard industry leaders lament that interest by our youth in pet hobbies is down. The future of the industry is in question because fewer and fewer children are engaging in pet hobbies. They are seduced away by today's electronic gadgets and video games. I know this is true in my own home. Getting my two sons to get off the games and go outside is a constant struggle. I hear that pet clubs and aquarium societies don't have as many young members as they used to. Indeed, their membership is only getting older and some worry about where the new membership will come from. Well, I have a great idea for a solution to this problem, but it represents a lot of work. And before I proceed, I want your opinion. I want to hear about your experience and concerns. Is this really a problem? Are fewer and fewer children taking up pet hobbies? Do you think something needs to be done about it for the health of children and the future of the pet industry? If so, please let me hear your thoughts. Email me at pettech at petliferadio.com. What about your chapter of the Breed Club, 4-H, Scout Troop, or Aquarium Society? Are kids' participation in pet hobbies waning? I will do my best to relay your thoughts to the leadership of the pet industry and just maybe put my idea for a solution into action. Let me hear from you at pettech at petliferadio.com about this important question. Thank you. Listeners, in these early days of the show, it is easier now than it will ever be to win free pet merchandise. I have boxes of beautiful brand new products sitting here waiting for a new home, donated by show guests. Yours for the asking. It's easy. Tell your friends so they can get theirs too. The simple directions are on each episode and on the show notes for each episode on our websites. Got a question? Call me, 209-728-8208. Email me at pettech at petliferadio.com. From episode one, we have a $100 discount. That's 25% off the Avian AquaClean, simply for mentioning our show, Pet Tech, when you place your order. And you can win a free CD of the soothing stories and music for the solo dog. From episode two, you can enter the drawing to win a free bottle of Clear Effects Pro Filter Media for your aquarium. And you can win a free bottle of OxyCharge Stain and Odor Remover for your home. From episode three, you can win your free large bottle of canine glucosamine. Here from episode four, you will win a $35 leather Euro leash for free with your purchase of a Harvest 3-in-1 backpack for dogs. Go to this webpage to claim your free leash. A betterpet.com forward slash pet tech radio. 
That's a betterpet.com pet tech radio. And you can win your very own sidekick car safety seat for pets. Nearly a $100 value for free. Simply email me, pettech at petliferadio.com. That's pettech at petliferadio.com with the name sidekick in the subject line to be entered in the drawing. This drawing closes April 30th, 2012. Visit the show notes page for episode four at our website for details. Until next time, don't forget to give your pets a little loving today. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.